When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep, deep, deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, worlds, and more. And we are getting started here with Fourth Wing. And before we dive into chapters one through four, we want to give you a big content warning. This podcast is rated R, like the book Fourth Wing. Look, we meet our morally gray man, Zayden Ryerson, in these chapters, and I as the hopeless romantic of the two of us, am going to be unstoppable. (laughs) Unstoppable. We are also talking spoilers. We really drilled this in in the intro episode, but just in case you missed it, totally understand. We are talking about everything from the entire Fourth Wing book and speculations and theories for Iron Fame. It's all on the table, including anything Rebecca Yara has said in any interviews, social media posts, anything out of her mouth. So if you don't know why, we're counting every time Dane touches Violet, not just on the face, touches her anywhere, please consider listening to the audiobook instead of listening to us. When you're done, we will be here. And now, a dragon without a rider is a tragedy. A rider without their dragon is dead. Let us enter Vesgaeth War College. Ooh, I got chills. Dun, 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 dun. Before we go into our battle brief of what happens in these chapters, let's begin with the big question. Lexi, did you like Mm -hmm. this book? I definitely did. Obviously reading it here as a standalone because the rest of the series isn't out. And I do believe it holds up well as the setup book, but because it doesn't have all of the info, um, I am going to give it a four out of five um, because again, some aspects of it I do think fall short. But I'm expecting the second book and beyond to really fill in a lot of those gaps. And that'll easily raise this this to a five out of five. I will admit it took me a little while to get into because I was having a really tough Akatar hangover. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But then after threshing, oh my gosh, that's when I really got sucked in. You were right, Nicole. I I was complaining about it to you. I I know you you were right. Aaron and his sassy ass will get anybody. (laughs) Someone said that he's like Joe from the Princess Diaries, and I was dying. <laughs> so, oh man, that's it. That's it. Yeah, right, right. And yeah, it's just one of those books that has so much info dropping at the end that you immediately want to reread it again. And to me, that's my favorite kind of book where you can just reread it again and again and continue picking up all these little bits and pieces. And I think we're really going to see that once we read the rest of the series, especially the second book here in a few weeks, uh, next month, two months however long. What year um, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. My child didn't sleep much last night, so neither did I. I think that the book includes a lot of really popular sci-fi and fantasy concepts. So is it like the most original groundbreaking plot and characters? 
no, I, I don't think so. Um, but it is so well done. And the pace, the buildup, the character development, the big plot reveals, I think that that makes it a big reason why it's just so popular. It's both familiar and unique with its own spin. I agree with most of what you're saying. Yes. So I too was also deep into Akatar. If you haven't listened to the intro episode, we kind of go into our like how we found Fourth Wing and all that kind of stuff. And it was through honestly, it was through uh, TikTok. Thank you, TikTok, Book Talk. You rock. So I was deep into Akatar, and I was seeing this book everywhere. And they were saying this is like most you know like hungover I've been on a book since the Accord of Thorns and Roses series and immediately my ears perked up because I was in a hangover so bad from Accord of Thorns and Roses that I literally read all five books and immediately went back read them all again and immediately went back and read them all again in less than a month and a half because I'm unstoppable. I should also say that I'm the audiobook listener mainly of the two of us. That is my preferred method. So when I say read, just know that I'm interchanging that with um, listen for the books. But I saw the description in book talk that it was like one particular video that someone said it's like game of thrones how to train your dragon a court of thorns and roses and harry potter had a baby and after i saw that i said say no more i will finally stop listening to this book for this book series for a third time and i will go into this new book so I was personally not expecting to love it as much as I did. I knew I was going to really like it, but I thought nothing would compare to particularly like Mist and Fury or like I loved Silver Flames as well. So the fact that I was immediately sucked into it, I was really, really surprised. But what, like you said, threshing is what took me over the edge because the big shocker for me was definitely the dragon's personality. You know, when you think of dragons, you think of like very stoic creatures. I think of, you know, House of the or House of the Dragon, fire and blood, like that kind of dragon bond. Not at all here. That is very, very different. And I loved that. I love also that the language is very modern. Even Rebecca Yarnos, she's been um, in a few interviews where they talk to her about this because that is not as common in this level of fantasy. And she said that she wanted this book to be a gateway for people to get into fantasy. And I just love that idea that she literally wanted this book to be a gateway drug for people like us to get into the fantasy world and then start fucking podcasts about it because that's how (laughs) deep immersed we are. I also was not expecting, but loved how much representation there was in this book. Obviously, the first and foremost is the fact that Violet is chronically ill. It's never outright stated, but um, Rebecca Yarnos is very open about her struggles with, I'm going to pronounce this as best as I can, Ehlers-Darnos syndromes or EDS is what she just typically calls it. So EDS is a form of uh, general mutation that causes issues with production and processing of collagen. So most people with EDS experience symptoms that like affects their skin, their muscles, their joints. For instance, whenever Violet's shoulders pop out of place or stuff like that, that is a result of EDS. So her, her meaning Rebecca and her four boys all have it. And she has never seen a female heroine with it. And so she wanted Violet to have the same chronic illness, just the, you know, Bez version. We also have a person of color as the main guy love interest in this book. And I love that. So there was actually kind of a big debate going on TikTok because uh, there was a lot of fan art that were whitewashing Zayden. And one of the commenters on a post that had, you know, some fan art of a very, very white Zayden commented, basically, may I ask, like, is Zayden a person of color or not? Because I always pictured him as like having like, you know, darker skin. And Rebecca, her beautiful self, tweeted the following back at this this question. 
oh, he definitely is, meaning person of color. Every time I see him whitewashed, I always hear that Schmidt scene, a white man? No! (laughs) Play in my head. And that just makes me so happy that she not only did that, but she quoted Schmidt. We also have Rhiannon, who is not only person of color, but also bisexual. We have Jasenia Signs. We also have an unnamed non-binary character who I really hope we learn more about. So immediately off the bat, that made this book stand out to me so much in comparison to other books in this fantasy genre that very much don't have this level of representation. I I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Zayden's like the best guy version of my husband, I like to think. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I have a tall, lanky white boy (laughs) and I'm over here being like, shadow daddies. (laughs) Now we are going to go into the battle brief. So this is where we just summarize the stretch of chapters, which in this case, in this episode is chapters one through four. So Nicole, what happens in chapter one? Chapter one, it's conscription day in Navarre, where hundreds of 20-year-olds enter Bezgayeth War College, ready to choose their quadrant. And Violet Sorengale is getting ready to set out for the writer's quadrant, the deadliest of the four quadrants. We learn quickly that Violet has trained her whole life to be in the scribe quadrant, not the writers, but her mother, the general, aka General Sorengale, a a peach, is forcing her to join the writer's quadrant. She's had all but six months to train for this versus the years and years and years like everyone else. And Violet's older sister, Mira, is pissed. After unsuccessfully begging her mother to let Violet go into the scribes rather than the writers, Mira gives Violet a crash course of how to survive your first year in the writer's quadrant, notably giving her dragon scale armor made from tiny Mira's dragon and a set of dragon riding boots. As Mira is saying goodbye, she has two final pieces of advice. Number one, find Dane Atos. Number two, stay away from Zayden Ryerson. I disagree with both of those pieces of advice. (laughs) As Violet is getting ready to enter the writer's quadrant via the dreaded parapet, she meets three people. Dylan, who mentions that he has a lady back home waiting for him to graduate so that they could marry, womp womp, two, some jackass standing behind her, and three, Rhiannon, a friendly girl who Violet trades one of her shoes with after noticing that Rhiannon's soles are flat, unlike the grippy rider boots that Violet has. Just as she's about to go out onto the parapet, who does she meet but the most exquisite men she's ever seen, a.k.a. Zayden Ryerson. And they have a heated face-off. Hmm. <laughs> who knew that would happen? <laughs> but the tension is broken when Dylan falls to his death womp, womp, no! from, the par- <laughs> from the parapet and the rain starts falling. Zayden steps to the side, allowing Violet to begin her walk. That is all chapter one. <laughs> All right, chapter two. So Violet, she steps onto the parapet and begins her walk, but the wind and the storm, it's too unnerving. So she begins doing what calms, you know, anybody down. She's listing facts. I love this part. Um, Her left foot, the one with the switched boot, remember, keeps slipping. And when she's more than halfway, Violet looks back to where that face uh, Jack Barlow is and sees that he is waiting and then throws a fellow candidate off the parapet. It's like, wow, dude, you just are a bad guy. He points and promises that Violet is next. So she's understandably terrified. She hurries the rest of the way and makes it to the end just in time to pull a dagger and hold it to Jack's balls, which is just beautiful, I must admit. I mean, the, the what she does, not his balls. <laughs> Poetry. In case you needed that clarification. 
chapter three. She lived. And striding over to her is none other than the biggest fuckface, Dane Atos, a.k.a. Violet's childhood best friend. And homeboy is a squad leader, the highest rank you can be as a second year. Dane is shocked to see Violet and consoles her as she hurls after all the adrenaline from the parapet. Dane sneaks Violet away to his room, wink, and allows her to bind her injured knee, then promptly tells her, okay, great, you're good to go. Let's go get you over to the scribes. After a heated argument where Dane basically tells her that she doesn't have what it takes, fuckface, Dane concedes for now, and they go back to the courtyard as the rest of the new cadets finish crossing the parapet. They are sorted into their squads, sections, and wings, and Violet is in Dane's squad, second squad, flame section, second wing. But what's that? <gasps> is it our shadow daddy? Who moves Dane's squad into the fourth wing? Hey, isn't that the name of this book? I think it is, Nicole. And just to elevate the drama, eight dragons come swooping in and roasting three cadets on the spot, making the death toll for the day 70 freaking people. Woof. That makes the Hunger Games just seem like child's play. Oh, I have so much to say on that. One dragon in particular, a navy blue one, finds Violet fascinating and has a similar stare as Zayden's. Hmm, interesting. Chapter four, the next morning, and we get the death roll, which is just a typical morning thing every single morning, which is just like really, again, paints the picture of this writer's quadrant and where the hell she has ended up here. We begin to meet more of the second squad members, namely Riddick, a smartass, like a class clown, I love him, and Sawyer, who's a repeat who didn't bond the previous year at Threshing. Dane and Violet sneak off to a corner of the rotunda, and after assuring Dane multiple times that she's fine and no one hurt her last night dane starts to ease off a little bit violet asks why her squad was moved to the fourth wing and dane confirms it's because zayden ryerson is trying to kill her and this way he'll have a direct line to do so without it seeming you know extra suspicious we learn that dane's signet power which is the unique power that each writer has channeled through their dragon it is that he can dun 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 read recent memories but only if he's touching a person's temple more on that soon. I have a lot of thoughts that I think we actually disagree on this. Ooh. As they're parting ways, a prickle fixes on Violet's neck. And hey, 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 it's our man Zayden. Zayden teases the two of them for being so fucking obvious, which is so super true. And then Dane yells, run, Violet, run. Which I just totally picture her doing like the Forrest Gump run to her class. Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like- Speaking of like like the whole setting of this, I picture Bez Gaeth only as Hogwarts Legacy. Maybe that's because I've played so much Hogwarts Legacy, but I cannot unsee it. And now it's just, it is the same thing. So that is all the battle brief we have for chapters one through four, because holy God, so much happens. Now Are you still t- with us? Do you want to check in? Are you still with us? get through that. <laughs> Now it is time to tap into our signet powers, key insights, reflections, foreshadowing, and theories. Before we even start with chapter one, there is a dedication, and it's so important that we're going to say it word for word. The following text has been faithfully transcribed from Navarian to the modern language by Jusenia Nelwert, curator of the scribe quadrant at Beskayeth College. All events are true and names have been preserved to honor the courage of those fallen. May their souls be commended to Malik. 
Ooh, I got chills. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so like, you know, you kind of skim over this in the first read, um, but in a reread, oh my gosh, this really stands out. These are history-making events we're journeying through. And hey, we actually meet this character. Jasenia is Violet's friend who she works with in the archives, uh, her friend who she signs with, who's, who we assume is deaf. And we know that the scribes are the keepers of knowledge. But we later learn that they are known to manipulate history. As her dad says in his letter to her, which we see way later on in the book, it only takes one desperate generation to change history, even erase it. And so we really get this focus here on Jasenia faithfully transcribing this, making the right choice so we know our past is not going to repeat itself in the future. Hopefully, I guess. Yeah, big, big fingers crossed on that one. So... Another thing that really just like twists the knife when you read this on the reread is knowing what happens to Liam. You know, Liam and Jasenia, they have this flirtation going on. And the morning that War Games is announced, um, the second War Games, I should say, there's this moment where Violet wonders if Liam, because he's a little disheveled, if he's been with someone the night prior. And if so, she literally has to write note for note Liam's death, which like, oh my God, how tragic. That is some Brienne of Tarth, uh, Jamie Lannister stuff right there. But whew, oh, they're serious. Talk about twisting the knife. How dare you bring that up right now? I'm so <laughs> mad about that still. God damn it. Okay, so while I think it's ominous that it does reference honoring the courage of those fallen, um, I am going to go a little bit against the grain here. And I don't think it's a death sentence for our characters, or at least not most of them. I don't think that this is a divergent situation that a lot of the internet is talking about where, uh, spoilers, where the main character, the main female character dies at the end. Um, just don't even bother reading that third book of Divergent. It's terrible. But I really don't think that Violet is going to die at the end of this just because this book resembles Divergent. Someone close to all of these events needs to tell Jasenia. And I think it's fitting that a scribe turned writer, Violet, still gets to help record history. And then, like, last thing I'll say on this is Divergence ending. It was such a terrible, like, such a disaster. Don't, like, again, it's been about 10 years since I read this book and I still get pissed off about it. I think it's a cautionary tale for fantasy authors, sci-fi and fantasy authors. Um, and I like to think that Rebecca knows better than to follow in Divergence footsteps. So I agree that's why I don't think Violet is dying. I agree with you so much, especially when you're saying, like, that, it's very fitting for a scribe turned writer, aka Violet, to help with this record of history. The amount of times, however, that later throughout this book, we get Zayden saying, quote, you're going to be the death of yeah. me, Violet, makes me very worried. Oh, so I too. do wonder if like, oh God, if Zayden is going to die, but for whatever reason, Sigail somehow lives or that doesn't set off the chain of events that leads to Violet dying. And if Zayden dies, then Violet is with Jasenia transcribing this entire like story. Or maybe Violet pulls Brennan and basically is like, I'm dead too. But Jasenia, here's the whole thing because we need to make sure this doesn't get like lost to history. If, however, Zayden dies, the internet will revolt. And I will be a part of that charge. I will be so angry. So I'm cur I'm, I'm excited, I'm curious, and I'm terrified as to what this passage means. And Rebecca, just, if you're listening for whatever reason, please, 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 please don't kill Zayden or Violet. I will, I will cry. I will cry. So after 
this very terrifying dedication that makes me want to vomit, we get thrown right into conscription day. Now, I want to talk really quickly just about the hero's journey because this is a trope in, not trope, this is like literary 101 for almost every single story. I mean, you know, when we start a hero's journey, we always start in something called the old world. So for Harry, that's the muggle world. For uh, Luke Skywalker, it's Tatooine. We always start, and it normally is a pretty lengthy or at least world-building setup of here we are in this old world before we go get pulled into the new world. So I do find that very interesting and very on par because this is kind of a, not a kind of, this is a very thrilling novel. Your heart is beating like crazy throughout it. And There's I think a content that, warning at the beginning of the book that it is going to be a thriller that was kind of like oh boy I gotta buckle up for this and I love that so I think that that's very appropriate to just entirely basically skip that old world section we also get a fuck literally (laughs) dropped on the first page of this story immediately setting the tone we also get in a few pages later we get a like um uh something something Violet saying and then she finishes for the win and I love that we just get an FTW in this like in this section it makes the language so contemporary which I think makes it so easy to read also on this conscription day stuff we learn that right off the bat Violet is scrawny and she's uncoordinated and it took me a minute to realize that this wasn't the typical female trope I don't know if you were similar here Lex but like you know when you meet uh, any fucking female trope in any fantasy novel she's always you know plain looking she's always boring or she's always like you know just like very mediocre is how she describes herself I'll say like literally Katniss Everdeen says she's mediocre and I'm like mm, disagree but and, and Farah, yeah you think about Farah, this, yeah um, they're, they're like kind of like a, a scrawny but mighty character they're like my little one-year-old daughter you know <laughs> tiny but mighty it it really goes a step beyond that. Like we said earlier, she she is chronically ill, but it's never outrightly stated. So it's actually not until she's literally wrapping her knee in Dane's room that I started to realize, oh, this is different. Like her joints are literally slipping out of place. Like something is very different here. And it, I think it's when Dane says like, these other people are perfectly healthy that it finally clicked of like, oh, she's, she's chronically ill. He also says something along the lines of, um, unless you found a miracle cure or something along yeah. those, yeah, something like that. So the Soringale dynamic, we're immediately thrown into this fight between Mira and Lilith Soringale. And I find it interesting that in the first few pages, Violet, as she's describing, you know, hearing this fight, overhearing it, she always uses the word the general. It's not until Mira says, damn it, mom, that we actually learn it's their mother. Which is just crazy. Uh, and like Violet is comparing her mom to a dragon. And she's cold. She's ruthless. She is Tywin Lannister here, everybody. Mira wants to hug her sister in front of their mom, but she doesn't until they later have privacy, which really reflects the hardened culture of this whole setting that we're in, that we've just been immersed in. And their mother, you know, if, if there's, God forbid, her two daughters hug each other, it would be a sign of weakness. Can you imagine? Our family? No. <laughs> Not in the slightest. We're very touchy-feely people. Oh, my God. So I'm curious. There's this line that Lilith says, and she says, if any of my children is capable of surviving the writer's quadrant, it's her, meaning Violet. Especially since she later says, you're so much like your father. I find this very, very 
ominous and foreshadowing. I want to hear your thoughts on this, though. So I think the reference about being like her father is the reason her mom is making sure she doesn't become a scribe because something's fishy with her dad's death. Think about the timeline here. Her, her brother, Brennan, died. Hmm? We'll get into that way later. Died five years ago. And that is when Violet notes her dad started having his heart complications. And then it wasn't until a year ago from the start of these events is when her dad died. That was my interpretation. I think that there are a few. Because I read it like he died a year after Brennan died. I died. I'm going to say I think it was he died a year ago from this start of these events. And the reason why I think that that is also the case is because, so think about the timeline. So he died a year ago. And then six months later is when Violet's mom says, nope, you no more scribes. You are going to be going to the, to the writer's quadrant. I think that that change of plans, which is very sudden, like her mom knew her whole life that she was training to become a scribe. She could have changed the plan at any time. I don't think that her dad just dying is just like, oh, he's out of the way. Now I can put her in the writer's quadrant. I think that she is protecting her daughter from becoming a scribe and learning the same information that her father had. And so this is her way of protecting Violet. And I also want to point out that, again, going back to that quote that you mentioned, if any of my children are capable of surviving the writer's quadrant, it's her, Violet. Her mom is the only one who really knows Violet from the get-go who believes in her. Mira is worried about her. She thinks that she's going to die. And then Dane, of course, Dane. Right? And, And like the only people who actually believe in her are her mom and then people she literally just met, right? Like who have no idea about her her condition, yeah. and so I just I, I just want to point that out that her mom is actually the only one who truly believed in her from the get go. Now, I, I want to say one quick thing on that because mm-hmm. I could also see her dad figured out that Venom were real, and he literally wrote that to Violet. What if she? What if the mom knew that he figured it out? She didn't want Violet to go into the scribes because she didn't want Violet to figure it out. And so she instead pulls her into the writer's quadrant. So what if this was instead her being like, I don't want her to learn the truth. So I want her to go into the writer's that. I know there's so I'm many ways so to excited. Yeah, we have because <laughs> I I have no, I don't stand on either side of the balance beam of which way her mom is. I I have no idea. Like I'm so fluid in this thinking because. There are so many theories and they all seem right. <laughs> like I don't yep. know which one to believe. Yeah, exactly. Right. Also, we're going to be doing a full on theories episode um, after we finish going through the book. But of course, we'll be sprinkling in theories throughout because obviously, right? So I just want to point out, Violet states that she hasn't seen her sister in years. Does that mean that this is the first time they've seen each other since their dad died, assuming it was a year ago? But if if he died a year ago, she hasn't seen her sister in years. Yep. That timeline doesn't make sense. I know. Maybe. So, uh, just, well, maybe she didn't get leave. She meaning Mira. Maybe Mira didn't get leave when their dad died. Maybe. I don't know. Probably. But if she didn't get leave, like, how could she be leaving her station to make sure that Violet doesn't become a writer, but she can't get leave for... My, my guess is either Mira didn't get leave or, yes, this is their first time seeing each other. You'd think that that would be kind of like a big moment and stated. You Anyway, I, it was just like a little, little nugget that I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. But 
now, okay, so again, we're going to be doing a way bigger deep dive in a later episode on th- with uh, talking about theories, but we got to talk about it right now. What caused the sickness that her mom, when her mom was pregnant? So there is a short theory. I don't know how much I buy it. So the venom, it, it talks and when, you know, the the words around describing the venom and their magic, it's all about stealing magic. And um, I saw a theory on TikTok that was basically saying like, it's almost like sucking the the life out of things. So wondering if maybe somehow Lilith got some roped up in a venom or something, they started sucking life out of her. And then that went into Violet, which would explain the loss of color in her hair. I don't, I don't know. I like that to me almost feels like too much of a stretch, but Rebecca can surprise me. Like, I don't know. Like, who knows? But I do find it interesting that she does blame her father. She mean Lilith blames their father for Violet's physical weakness. It makes sense. Like, she's been in the scribes, all that kind of stuff. But, like, she's almost, like, resentful that she's been a scribe training all her life. So... I I don't know. I don't know if like there's also some like rumination from when she was pregnant and she didn't get pregnant or she didn't give birth to a healthy child and so she's like takes that out on Violet. Like I don't I don't know. I'm I'm really curious as to where this is going to go. I also want to point out that I think that the what the sickness that happened when her mom was pregnant does not necessarily although I think it does, but it doesn't necessarily equal out to this is the reason for her physical weakness, for her chronic illness. They could be mutually exclusive. um, And it has more to do like with her powers. I don't think that's it. I think that they are definitely related to one another, but just throwing that out there. That is, oh my God, there's so many possibilities. I just don't know. (laughs) I know. So Violet is, in the first stretch of chapters, we really understand Violet's identity as being a scribe. She has trained for this her whole life. It's a way that she connects with her dad who has passed away. And she's really good at it too. She's our little Ravenclaw. And I think that from the very get-go, we are still learning that she's made of tougher stuff, you know, than everybody else thinks. She got in the top 25% of the speed and agility on the entrance test to get into Visay. Biscayeth College, more on that in today's archives section. She's already applying her scribe training to a vastly different situation. She's using backs to keep herself calm as she's going across a 18, it's it's insane, right? How she really applies her knowledge in a completely different setting and sets up just like how clever and honestly self-aware she is. Well, speaking of things we see in Violet, like there's there's this one quote that says, but I can handle my rucksack and I will handle myself. So Rebecca Yarnos talks about how with someone with chronic illness, sometimes you're willing to accept help and sometimes you're very much in the like, I just want to be like everyone else camp. And she deliberately, she meaning uh, Rebecca, put both sides of the equation in this book. And I love how in this first stretch of chapters, we really see the, I just want to be like everybody else. Obviously when she gets into Bezgayeth and she's like, oh, my knee is basically slipping out of its joint. Like I need to go wrap this up. Like she accepts help from Dane pretty, pretty rapidly. But I do, I love this dichotomy. And I'm on this reread, I'm going to be very watchful of it because it's right now kind of a 50-50 split. And I'm I'm really liking that. So I want to talk though about Mira versus Dane because on the surface, they treat Violet 
kind of similarly. When arguing with their mom, Mira focuses on all of Violet's inadequacies and points out how weak she is. They, she reiterates again and again that Violet is going to die. So this is the exact same perspective that Dane has too. And really everybody has except her mom. I want to point out again. And but when, yeah, right. But the biggest difference is when the fight is lost for Myrna, when she accepts that, yep, this is just going to happen. She completely shifts her mentality from, oh my God, my sister is going to die. I have to save her from going into the writer's quadrant to, all right, this is our situation. Buck up. Here's a crash course. Uh, here's how to survive. Do this, do that, do this. She completely shifts her mentality into a supportive, confident, helpful sister to help her sister survive. Dane never does this. He like gives little half-ass try on a few occasions, but never once does he have the same shift in mindset that Mira has that, that literally does save Violet's life from the very beginning. I have so much more to say on that, but I'm going to save it for Dane's section later. I also, in this whole stretch with Mira, when she's doing like her download of like, here's your two minute deep dive into best guy at war college. Violet says to Mira, I'm not going to die today. And this is a mantra for Violet throughout the entire book, literally actually earning one of the chapter headers of chapter like seven or eight. I can't remember which one it is, but I didn't realize that this very important mantra was first said to Mira. And I think that might be a little bit of foreshadowing. There's a lot of theories around, is Mira going to live? Is Mira going to die? I think probably I could see Mira dying. So I just, again, see that like, I'm not going to die today. I love that that is her first time she says this mantra. So like, for instance, even when Captain Fitzgibbons sees her, he is just so sad pity you had so much promise he is literally already talking to her in the past tense like he just everybody thinks she's gonna die again i just have to reiterate that like everybody thinks she is about to die where they are literally already talking to her in the past tense she also has many moments throughout the book where she's like well this is how i die (laughs) like this is it this is like good life i I lived it we have to have to talk about moment for dylan i want to ask is this foreshadowing because when Dylan, Rhiannon, and Violet are in line. Uh, Violet's talking about all the perks that writers get, which includes marrying sooner than others. Is this a little slide-in that we're going to get a marriage, or do you think not? I think it's a little bit more of a world-building technique than uh, foreshadowing. I can see that. I, and I think about and I say that because like Zayden is he's a third year he's technically supposed to graduate I have no idea how that's gonna go but anyway and then she still has another two years so if you're thinking that she and Zayden would be the ones to marry all sorts of theories around that as well I don't it's not like marriage right after graduation for him no. it would be for her so I don't really consider that foreshadowing I think it's more of a world building technique and another insert saying hey writer's quadrant is really fucking dangerous yeah well i mean like literally in this stretch of chapters it talks about how they fuck like bunnies because like you could die tomorrow so like go get it while you can and i love that i, I love that even mira is she's yeah. like get it while you can little sis like get it get it get it and i'm like that's a good big I, sister advice I right there say, i could see that <laughs> So Dylan immediately after Rihanna's answer, she says, like, only because we die sooner. This is right after the marrying sooner. Dylan says, I'm not dying. 
Womp. Guess Womp. what? <laughs> Dylan explains that he has a woman back at back at home and he wanted to propose before going off to the writer's quadrant, but she said it would be bad luck. And so he takes out a necklace and it has a ring on it and he literally kisses it. And just, I want to just like, at Rebecca real quick. Way to fucking twist the knife. This woman knows how to rip my heart out. And it's like page 20. Like it's not even that far into the book. And I love that Violet, right after she sees Dylan like kiss the ring, she says that might just be the most romantic thing I've ever heard. And it's really setting up Violet to be this like, yeah, she's a hard exterior, but she does have a very hopeless romantic in her. I feel you, girl. I feel you. Speaking but of now which, we need to talk about Zayden. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and let you go. <laughs> Rubbing my hands together. Let's do this. So I knew, like I said in the intro episode, I knew that this book was enemies to lovers. But hearing that he wants to kill her like right off the bat, it was like, whoa, okay. Like I, I wasn't really expecting it to be kind of shoved in your face like that. I do love that immediately she's like, He's hot. Like, and it literally says, he's the most exquisite man I've ever seen. Lexi, have we seen that line before? Okay, I need to talk about this for a second. So I did not get the memo when I was reading Akatar that the most beautiful man Spoilers. Equals- Spoilers, by the way. Spoilers for Akatar. Spoilers for Akatar. I did not know that the most beautiful man equals your eventual love interest. Like, I, I, I was not privy to that. And so the whole resand thing went completely over my head in the first book. But anyway, haha, I see this one this time. And I'm like, oh, ding, 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 shadow daddy, shadow daddy alarm. When they're doing their face off, this is Zayden and Violet, uh, Zayden says, your mother captured my father and oversaw his execution. And... Violet says, wait, like he's the only one right who has the right to hatred here. She comes back at him with your father killed my older brother. Seems like we're even. Zayden says, hardly. And I love that line because it's like, oh, you reread it. It's like, well, hardly. Yeah, because Brennan's not dead. So I, I love that little like sprinkle of foreshadowing and it so goes over your head. I also love that as Dylan's literally falling to his death, Violet's looking at him like like a scream coming out of her and Zayden's just staring at Violet and he's sizing her up. He's seeing like, is this girl good? Is she like Brennan? Does she have a heart? Or is she like Lilith or at least perceived like Lilith where she will, you know, whip a guy 107 times. So while he's looking at her, she notices and she says his glaring gaze strokes over me like he's memorizing every detail or looking for any weakness. I love it because he's literally with that dichotomy in his head. He's like, do I trust this girl or do I eventually, you know, really like her? I'm assuming he also immediately has a similar attraction that she has. Or actually, I have that confirmed because he says it later in the book. But or is he sizing up an opponent? Is he looking at her like she's Lilith Sorengale's daughter? So so I hear you on that. I personally still need a lot more explaining about what was going through his mind during that time when they were first meeting. He gives like absolutely no there you are. I've been looking for you. Vibes. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't like I knowing in the reread, like I'm trying to find the things that you're finding right now. And I don't know if I just going over my head or I'm just like, I, I, I don't see it. Like, I like it's not. And that's one of my little gripes with the book. But again, I think it's going to be explained in the next book or two. I totally hear you. And I think that 
I don't think there's going to be a there you are. I've been looking for you moment because like they, as far as we know, there's a lot of theories on this. He has not been seeing into her dreams and seeing her paint the night sky. We don't have that level of connection. Again, as far as we know, there's a lot of theories on this, but we don't have that level of connection that Reese and Feyre did. Whereas here, they have grown up quite literally, or at least for Violet, hating each other but he's the son of the reason that this whole rebellion happened that led to Brennan's death so it makes sense that right off the bat they're like fuck you I'm gonna kill you like I kind of like that but inside they're feeling the ooh fuck this person's attractive I I don't even think this is perceived enemies to lovers in this section obviously later yes it is but right now in this section I think this is just straight up capital E enemy with that attraction and that's what I mean is that I don't this again just being a little nitpicky here i don't think that's consistent it's consistently shown because it at the very end when we get his pov i'm sorry i've only read it once so i'm going off of memory here that he says that he kind of loved her from the very first moment he met her he even says like he's been he's loved her he's been aware of her he's known about her for so much longer than she knows about well because of brennan speculation on that yes but Again, here it's like they don't need to have like a, a mating bond like like Reese and Farah did, but they do. He's real. Like no wonder she thinks he hates her. He is giving "I hate you, I want to kill you" vibe. She's want he's wanting to size her up to see if she's on Lilith's side. Like is she like basically coming in here as a spy so that she can you know report back to Lilith, or is she coming in here completely oblivious and? Is she the good-hearted little sister that I'm assuming Brennan has been telling Zayden about at least their whole relationship? I, I get that. So there, there is a quote, however, that needs to be pulled. And this is just, I, I need this set on the podcast. This is later. So I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But this is in this set of chapters. Um, when she is moved to fourth wing, just because we're talking about Zayden, I feel like we need to talk about this. When she's moved to fourth wing, she's panicking she's like oh my god what the fuck just happened she says i'm now entirely at his mercy a subordinate in his chain of command he can punish me however he likes for the slightest infraction even the imaginary even the imaginary ones you knew what you were doing rebecca yarnos and i love it i love shit like this so different. I love it. <laughs> I want to talk about the first dragon sighting and the interaction because Sigail, she in a reread, she shows so much specific interest in Violet. And I bet we are going to get so much more context about what she is thinking in that in that moment, what she's relaying to Zayden in that moment. Because, but it also makes me wonder how does she just how does she know who Violet is? What is the connection? there and there's all sorts of speculation we can go into well, later but yeah i, I, I want to talk about that, that real out. quick because my my guess yes. is that because zayden knew about violet via brennan so because zayden knew we can assume that Sigail knows so i'm guessing that Sigail was like sizing her up to be like mm, mm? like are you worthy <laughs> what mm? like you know in her sassy dragon way like i was i'm i am wondering if she was kind of Sigail, in my opinion, is a very good judge of character. So I'm wondering if she was like, I'm just going to see if she's worthy of my writer. Yeah, that's my headcanon. Because she knows that he is attracted to her, maybe because. (gasps) Yes. Yes. Okay, we're going to go back to the parapet. That's enough Zayden for now. So we need to talk about the storm because this timing cannot be a coincidence. The storm starts right as she begins talking to Zayden and it ends basically right after she crosses the parapet. 
we know that Lilith Sorengale's signet is storm wielding. This is like way too coincidental. Did Lilith send the storm after her to A, prove that Violet is capable of being a writer or to off her so that she just doesn't have to deal with this child finding out because she knows she's really smart, finding out the venom and all that stuff. I I have I have thoughts. So, so let's let's say if it was her mom, like you were just saying, was she trying to wipe out some of the competition to help her daughter? Like that could have been it. Knowing that her daughter was being helped by Mira, her other daughter, I think that's a lot of trust to put on and a lot of assumptions there. That's some Dumbledore shit right there. To <laughs> if Lilith's uh, being Dumbledore, I'm gonna lose it. But right, like a mix between like Snape and Dumbledore. For instance, she knows that there are fewer dragons bonding and the competition is fiercer than ever she's one of the college's leaders like she she knows this right so she could be trying to wipe out the competition to help her daughter i i don't believe that i actually don't believe that her mom had anything to do with this storm okay so you would imagine that mira would have mira or violet or even dane would have made some kind of correlation that the storm is because of their mom Uh, mira mentions the storm several times to violet you would think that the two of them knowing their mom knowing her mom's powers would have put two and two together especially violet who is extremely intelligent, right? I want to pause though. Mom- Violet was not smart enough to realize that every time Dane touched her, he was reading her memories. So yes, Violet is very intelligent, but she does have her blind spots. That is very true. Yes. But what about Mira? I don't think she has as many blind spots as as her either. And I think that she's also a little bit more prone to their mom's powers. Anyway, so I want, I think of it more as it is a coincidence because let's like just because there's a storm does not mean that it is her mom right like there's been lightning in the past and it's not because of violet so i think it is a coincidence to amp up the drama and have us fans talking but i don't think that she was the cause of it i do also think it's very to to echo your point it is very poetic like violet's life is already so hard why not just make it harder with, you know, she has her chronic illness. Like, why not just make cro- crossing the parapet harder with a fucking storm? Like, she has to go over all of these extra hurdles that other people don't. So I do think that that is also very poetic of her and her character. God, I don't know. I'm so torn. I could see it both ways. I truly could see it both ways. I This is a very quick note, but can we talk about what a good villain name Jack Barlow is? Like, that just sounds like a pirate. Jack Barlow. Yeah, like a very, like, you know, like, maybe it's just Captain Jack Sparrow's in my head, but, like, that just sounds very, like, evil villain, and I love it. So Violet's Nervous Habit. This section is brilliant from Rebecca because she's giving us so much insight into Violet's character obviously having a nervous habit she just starts spouting off facts like you mentioned earlier she's such a Ravenclaw I agree but it's also giving us a huge download about the world the different regions the kingdoms and I'm not gonna lie on the first read I was like fuck this this is all going over my head I just want to make sure you don't die girl but on the second read I was like oh my god like this place and this place and this place and I almost need like a big map like a wall-sized map to like so, listen to that section so with. real quickly I, I just got the physical copy the physical copy does include a map um the ebook does not include that okay map. so i was gonna ask because i have a map i have an ebook and i have the map of the war college but not of the world i need to see your book very soon. and the physical copy yep it does have the world yeah and, and then just again on that note too um at one point 
like it's like her her dad is giving her advice even in this moment you know she knows these facts she knows how to calm herself down and she's channeling her dad and i just i I really love that they're so connected in every which way even when she's no longer um going into the scribe quadrant her dad is still spiritually with her i feel like we can all on some level relate to her overcoming the parapet because while we have not hopefully not all of us have been in a situation where if we do not keep our balance we fall to our death but we all have done something that was really really scary and it's like you know what as in violet as violet says fuck it i just got to do it i'm not going to be any more prepared than i am right now and you can't let that fear eat you alive and then once when you overcome it like that thrill that literal just sense of adrenaline just like oh my god i can conquer the world it's like i'm gonna become a dragon rider like you know zayden really gives like that ha 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 uh, speech at the end of and course, then crushes then, like, their soul like ha. Exactly, right? Yeah. But uh, but anyway, it's just something that I feel like we can all relate to on some level. Nicole and I have both done firewalks on multiple occasions, and I it was it reminded me so much of that. Same. I, I could totally see that. Speaking of crossing the parapet, when we cross said parapet, we meet a new character. And he is probably <laughs> one of the most hated characters in literature, at least in fantasy literature, for a long time. So when we meet Dane Atos... I immediately got Gale vibes. And I'm, I'm not saying I that as a too. compliment. That is not a compliment in the slightest. Gale for me in Hunger Games, I hate, I was never team Gale. I hated Gale mainly because he always had this air of like, I know what's best for you, Katniss. And this seems very, this is very Dane. He never asks her what she wants. He only barks orders at her. Also, when he, um, when he, when we meet him for the first time, it's described as he charges towards us before we even know it's Dane. And when you think of something charging towards you, you think of like an enemy coming at you in battle or we associate it with an enemy. So immediately priming us to be like, oh God, Dane sucks. So also after leaving his room, after she's wrapped her knee, he's like, we're going to the squibe quadrant because that's no question. Like, do, 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 let's go to the squibe quadrant. And it's like, God fucking damn it, Dane. He gives her no credit for crossing the parapet until finally she calls him out on it. And he's like, well, I'm not going to say you didn't just kick absolute ass, Violet, but... And it's like, you little shit. Also, after he realizes that she has daggers on hers, this is when she's hurling. I get so fired up talking about Dane, I swear to God. She reflects that he's looking at her like a complete stranger. So he's associating the the daggers and all this kind of stuff with what we will associate her with later, which is violence. Violence is obviously the nickname Zaynan gives her. And I love that he's looking at her like a total stranger the first moment that he like feels anything violent on her. So of course he doesn't recognize her. Fucking damn it, Dane. Okay, so I do have a quick question regarding Dane. And I don't know if I'm entirely cutting him slack here, but did Dane break some rules? Because he, number one, brings her up to the second year floor, which is where his dorm is. And she mentions she's not allowed up here. He also does this again in chapter nine when he massages her after a hard day of sparring. And then also he was, and I quote, really good friends with Amber Mavis last year. She's now a wing leader. So she's a third year. So we can assume that if she is a wing leader this year, that means that she was probably a squad leader as a second year when he was a first year, which if so, Dane, what the fuck? So, oh my God, I can't believe I'm uh, okay. Real quickly. Oh my God. Are you about to defend Dane? (laughs) 
So Nicole knows that I I do not stand Tamlin, but I do play Tamlin's advocate sometimes because, oh my God, somebody has to. This is not the same situation. This is the only episode where I'm going to cut him any slack. And mm-hmm. but I am going to say it's not against the rules for you know people to sleep with other years or or even their squad leaders or whatnot. Sure. It's just frowned upon. So it's not an actual rule. I think the same probably goes with like second year, like first years going into second year dorms. It's kind of like second college where it's like yeah, you're not supposed to, but it's not like one of like the rules. You know, it's more of like a as Jack Sparrow would say, a guideline. Fair. I do have another question for Dane. And this actually might be for every writer. Does everyone just have a leather kink? Oh, yeah. But Dane specifically. (laughs) Because literally, so Violet says, you've seen me in swimwear, tunics, and even ball gowns. Are you telling me it's the leather that does it for you? And at one point when she's wrapping her knee in his room, he like staring at her and he like shakes his head. He's like, we got to get you out of here. Like, I'm literally like, he sees her in leather once and he's suddenly like, hmm. Mm, bang, bang, bangity bang. Is that a bang, bang, bangity bang? I, I think too. He's been thinking about her for a whole year, right? Mm, true, 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 true. So, yeah, I do yeah. think that almost every writer has a leather kink, though, because Violet also is like unable to stare away when Zayden's wearing his riding leathers, specifically. So. You know, no king shame. Nothing king shaming here. I'm just saying that's notable. (laughs) Here's something I do want to like put on high alert to look out for. So when, again, when we're in Dane's room, because there's so much that happens in the scene, we see a book that Violet gave him and she mentions he's always had a gift for languages. I don't know if anything's going to come from this. It might just be character building for Dane, but something where I'm like, "Mm." it would also be very you know, poetic that someone who has a gift for languages also has the gift to not read minds, but read memories. I, I actually um, highlighted that section as well. Cause I was like, Hmm, like we don't like this feels important. Like gift for languages again. Like, I don't think it's just building his character. I think that that is absolutely going to come into play later down the line. I agree. He, I'm going to, I'm going to take every opportunity that I possibly, you're going to take every opportunity to like cut Dane some slack. I'm going to take every. No, 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 no. <laughs> only the absolutely necessary ones. And it's only in this stretch of chapters, probably. I will, I will happily take this opportunity to highlight where Dane is taking some major L's. I agree. So, he describes the unbonded cadets. This is in this chapter and still in his room as, and I quote, perfectly healthy he literally says and they're all perfectly healthy and it's like you fucker he also says please let me save you now look there is a very damsel in distress trope in almost every single fantasy book but the please let me save you the please in there is so desperate and disgust fuck you dane i just spit i'm so angry (laughs) fuck you dane it's chapter two and I still I just I hate you I can't I can't stop hating you okay so later on we learn about his signet and this is when they're in the rotunda so Dane says okay we need to talk about this because Dane says I have to put my hands on the person so I'm not a security risk there's the so I'm not a security risk that is very fishy it never outrightly in this chapter says in order for him to read memories it can only be on their face it just says I have to put my hands on the person 
But then so I'm not he a security does, risk. But then he does follow up. Like I think it's even later that page where he does confirm like it is on their temples. I am not convinced that it has to be touching their face or their temples. And and that's where we're in two different camps here, which is so much fun. So he so also a, another thing that he does note that I think is of importance is that he says he's nowhere near adept at it yet. So my question is. Uh, this actually not even a question this is what my theory is at, at least the beginning of the book he can only do it on people's temples however as he learns hones his power more as he learns more about it as he gets stronger maybe that's when then it's not just on their temples so that that's kind of my i'm not i don't know if i'm wholly in that theory zone but that's just something to think about. Really quick on that note, because if he does end up like honing his powers and being really, really powerful, what if eventually, like I'm talking like we're looking at book three or four, maybe even five. If he is being set up to be one of the big bad characters, which I do think he is, what if he doesn't even have to put their hand, his hands on them at all? Like eventually. Yeah. Oh, Oh, that would be so well, bad. that would definitely put him as a security risk. But that also brings me to my next point here is he also says they'll probably use him for intelligence. I believe, and again, I'm reading the book for the second time right now, so I'm still picking up on some of these details, is I'm guessing that when they realize they being like the generals, the leadership here, when they realize that Violet and Zayden are getting closer, um, I'm pretty sure like her mom and one of the generals do stumble upon them at one point there um, later, later in the book. I think that that is when they bring him in for the intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that is when, now I do also think he's doing it on his own free will. I don't think his dad is forcing him exactly to do anything as some people do theorize but i do believe that they're going to use me for intelligence he is being used for intelligence like on official business here when he does that against violet towards the end okay i have a theory okay what let's hear it later down the line i'm talking like again books four three or four what if dane has this big redemption arc and I, I have no idea what that would look like. He would need to move fucking <laughs> mountains to have some kind of redemption arc. But he ends up joining the rebellion. But what if he's a spy feeding information back into intelligence? I don't know. I don't, I don't think Dane, I don't, I don't think Zayden would I don't, let him. I don't, I don't think he's going to. Yes. I don't know. So, I'm just, I'm, so I don't know. Right. And we have, so anyway, so this is just us like barely scraping the surface yeah. of Dane and his, his signet powers. And um, we are going to, we are doing a count of the times that he touches her face, which is what I think is most important. And then of course, just him touching her specifically skin to skin. Yeah. Um, yes. But so whenever he does touch her t face, I'm, I'm making it very noted because I want to know what does he want to know in those moments. So, for instance, the morning after conscription day, they're in the rotunda and it literally is described as Dane cuts her cups her face. So we assume that he is reading her memories. Was he checking? Because right before that, he was asking her, like, did anything happen to you last night? Did anyone come into your room? Like, and she was like, no, Dane, like, I'm fine. I'm fucking fine. And then he cups her face. Is he asking because he doesn't trust her and he wants to make you fucking dick? <laughs> or at least like he need. I think that he's someone who's such a control freak that he needs that confirmation for himself. So yes, he doesn't believe her, but it's a little bit more than that where it's like, yep, he is just that much of a control freak where he has to see it to believe it. And I think also it, on that same note where he has to see something to believe it, he has been honing this power for what, uh, six-ish months, a year? Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's after threshing, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So not very long, 
but also long enough where he's probably started relying on this as a way of how he can trust people maybe or he might might not i don't know no i think and another (laughs) another thing i'm curious about too um that i think we'll go into a lot more throughout the book is we we only know recent memories we do not know if it's like within the last 24 hours or within the last week or we don't know what that recent timeline is Mm -hmm. so i think that a lot of these plot holes of like oh what does he know about indarna i think that that might be the boundaries of it you know where he doesn't have some of that very critical information i do think it's important to note and we'll go into this way deeper when we talk about image and signet power but image and signet power is wiping memories that's important (laughs) yes yes i think that's going to work really well together it was like a toss away line towards the end and it's like well what (laughs) oh my god we could talk about dane forever we will talk about dane forever but for right now let's go into our major moments of foreshadowing uh, so, okay, so real quickly, we learned that uh, from the get-go, we learned that Violet's quick with daggers. This will continue to be her weapon of choice throughout the throughout the book, and I'm guessing throughout the series here. And in that same sequence, I am so excited about this part, she describes herself as quick, lightning quick. Ah! So, so you know how every single person, she later talks about how they have like very specific traits. And so when their, pa- when their dragon channels their power, it like merges with that trait of theirs. And like, for instance, Dane needs to know, is a know-it-all, so he gets access to people's recent memories uh zayden is very secretive so he has power over shadows so hers is lightning so i really think that that is related to lightning speed and so her dragon's strength and her speed equal lightning boom i love that you said quick lightning quick like it was bond james bond <laughs> like <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. And then of course the all important fables book is introduced. In the first chapter, Mira is, you know, cleaning out uh, uh Violet's rucksack and she notes that there is a fables book in there. Burr, 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 burr. This is the all important fables book and it is introduced. She says and I quote, "Is that the old book of fo- folklore?" about dark wielding vermin and their wyvern. I love that. And immediately Violet's like, it's venen. <laughs> like, like, but I love that it's, it was so tossed aside, at least in my interpretation, my first read. I was like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, that's just like fables. Um, I thought it was like that connection with her dad more than anything. I, I exactly, that's exactly what I thought. So that was a really cool moment of foreshadowing. And oh boy, is that going to play up? big old role in this series mm-hmm. we also learned that is it is an executable offense to attack any cadet while sleeping again a very throwaway line but we learn not only is that going to happen she's going to get attacked while sleeping but amber mavis fucking bitch amber mavis is going to get offed by tarn because of letting her into her room and and another quick foreshadowing there too while we're on that subject of amber in the same sequence that she's introduced it's also that she is a real rule follower like the codex is law and it's like "Eh, no it's not (laughs) well it, it also foreshadows that when violet gets up the gauntlet she you know uses her knife and stuff like that and amber has a hissy fit Zayden's basically like shut up (laughs) like I don't need you we also get an interesting line here when describing her mother and comparing her to the dragon it says quote I don't need the prohibited power of mind reading to know exactly what she sees that's from Violet so again another throwaway line all of these are throwaway lines when you first read it especially as we're getting this mega download in the first few 
chapters in the first few pages. But this foreshadows later, A, that a student who immediately gets off for being an intingsit, intingsit, that's such a hard word to say. A mind reader. Right? A mind reader. <laughs> but it is, is it also other foreshadowing? Is someone in the rebellion a mind reader? Is Zayden a mind reader? I know there's a lot of theories. I'm not bought on that theory yet. I'm going to be honest. I, I think that I... that's just their bond. I, I I can be convinced of that theory. I think that there are some really, really compelling arguments. Um, there is a website, EmpyrianWriter.com, and she has a really fantastic article on this where she pulls out every single possible quote in the book that could be foreshadowing of Zayden's mind reading. And we'll, we'll put that article in the show notes so you guys can check it out as well. Yeah, I, I think it's a really compelling case for it. I am still... I feel like it would be too simple of a solution. Um, and I don't I don't think that he has more than one power. I do think that we are absolutely going to meet someone who has mind reading capabilities. I wonder if they might not even be technically part of the writer's quadrant. Maybe that there's some other dragon bonding. I have no idea. But anyway, that's just my two quick two cents on that. I know we'll be talking a whole lot more as mind reading continues to be a very prominent theme of a forbidden power here. I'm I'm convinced it's going to be someone in the rebellion, like because yes. I'm assuming we're going to meet a lot of new characters in Iron Flame. So I'm I'm assuming that it's going to be someone in the rebellion. I could talk about that for hours. There um, is also real quickly from the just um, the summary of Iron Flame, there is going to be a new character, the Vice Commander, who is essentially going to be out to get Violet. I, I believe I've only kind of skimmed it, so don't at me. But I wonder if again maybe. It's his power. No, that wouldn't that vice commander wouldn't have mind reading power. I don't know. know about that. I don't know. There's some anyway. shady shit happening in command, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. When Violet is giving her name to one of the people taking notes, thunder literally cracks above her, which is so beautiful. But then it's described as oddly comforting. She goes on to say, I've always loved the nights where storms beat against the fortress window, both illuminating and throwing shadows over the books I curled up with. Shadows! (laughs) Shadows, big big note there. Right? I love that. That sentence right there, that includes her mom with storms. It includes shadows, which is Zayden, and her dad with books. Oh, so good. So Mm -hmm. beautiful. We also get a a Dane foreshadowing. This place. A Dane foreshadowing. (laughs) You know that that TikTok sound that's like, God fucking damn it, Dave. Like, do you know that one? Yeah. So all I hear is, God fucking damn it, Dane. (laughs) Like, that's all I hear. Dane, he's, this place can warp almost anything about a person, Fi. It cuts away the bullshit and the niceties, revealing who you are at your core. Cuts away the niceties indeed, Dane. Indeed, indeed. But it also, I mean, but it also foreshadows, like, obviously, who you are at your core. Violet is this, like we said, this lightning quick, this electric human who has a lot of stuff. I think that there's some major foreshadowing of who and Darna, what the Darna power is going to be for next book, which I'm salivating at for but just like a lot of a lot of different foreshadowing of like who people are at their core that does make me wonder about Lilith because storms when I think of storms I think of power I think of ominous I think of like you know um unstoppable so I I, I'm just I'm curious as to how that's going to work with if she is on the good side quote unquote interesting Mm. last but not least a little bit of foreshadowing before we get into the archives 
We need to talk about General Melgren because his signet power is being able to see the outcomes of battles. And it's set, which obviously is foreshadowing because the rebellion kids, if they are three or more, they can't, he cannot see the outcomes of their battles, which is very convenient for the rebellion. But it also says you can't be assassinated if you don't see it coming. I think that might be foreshadowing. I think Homeboy is going to get assassinated by rebellions. Or maybe that's, or, or maybe General Sorengale. <gasps> that she is is a Severus Snape character, which a lot, a lot of people on the internet do believe, and maybe she ends up offing. I, I have no idea. I am throwing things at the wall like spaghetti here. Well, let's get into some more concrete information. Let's yes. go into the archive. So every single episode, we're going to have an entire archive section, which is our deep dive into the different aspects of the Empyrean world. Lexi is actually a Hufflepuff, but she's majorly flexing her Ravenclaw muscles here. And she did a huge, big deep dive into the Bezgaeth War College and the different quadrants. Take it away, Lex. Oh, I thank you. Thank you. So so we are thrown right into Beskayeth War College and we get a huge info download. How many times have we said that in this episode? So let's head into the archives and learn about this War College, the quadrants, and specifically the writer quadrant. So first and foremost, what is Beskayeth? Bezgaeth War College. She makes words so hard. Writer's Quadrant is so difficult to say. (laughs) Bezgaeth War College is so difficult to say. You did not make this easy Uh, for podcasters, Rebecca. BWC. We're going to just call it BWC right now to save my sanity. Okay. So it is a gigantic fortress located roughly in the middle of Navarre, which is the largest kingdom in the West. The main college is built into the side of Bezgaeth Mountain. It is the Navarre's War College, where 20-year-olds across Across the six providences come to train for very specific roles, which are the quadrants within the military. Now, to even become a candidate within the college and choose a quadrant, you have to pass an entrance test, which includes a written test and an agility test. So if you don't pass that initial test, boom, you go straight to the army. That is different than any of the quadrants, okay? So you have to take the first entrance test to apply for the college, right? Okay, it's so like they're ACTs basically. ACT, SAT, ACTs or SATs? There's both, right? I don't wow, know. Tell it's me, so you're long. almost twenty years out of school without <laughs> telling me that. So these young adults are mostly uh, conscripts, which are enlisted to join the military because of the war that has been going on for literally four centuries. We are going to talk about that way, way later. It also includes volunteers and punishment sentences, which is very interesting. And then before joining each quadrant you have to pass another entrance test that is specifically for that quadrant, right? So you have the entrance test that is into the college itself, and then you have the entrance test into your quadrant that you choose. And so each of these quadrant entrance tests reflect each quadrant's uh, unique skills and strengths. This happens on conscription day, which we're estimating to be sometime in July. It which is notably Violet's birthday month. Just something to keep in mind. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. And so if you get through the quadrant entrance test, then you have training for three years and then you graduate, assuming you do not die in the process. Let's talk about these four quadrants. So we have the infantry, number one, which makes up the majority of the enlistees. Now, the infantry is different than the army. That's very 
big to know. The entrance to the quadrant is at ground level at the base of Beskyeth War College Northern Turret. Their uniforms are a nice navy blue, but we don't really know much about them except for part of their training involves survival skills. For instance, like camping through the winter. I'm not going to lie. That sounds terrible to me. Unlike writers, however, this quadrant is all about conformity. You know, in the writer's quadrant, we have like Imogen with her half-shaved head and we have ear piercings and tattoos. This is the total opposite. A full company of infantry is equal to one writer. That just gives you an idea of the power balance here. We have the hierarchy of writers, infantry, obviously needing to pass the college entrance test, and then the army, which is the failed entrance test. Then we have the healer quadrants. This is located at the southern part of the college. Their uniforms are a nice pale blue. Love that. They don't have magic. They instead rely on traditional medicines and trying to heal. Now, healers are different from menders who are super rare and precious because they're signet from their dragon riders. They were, for instance, Brennan was a mender and he was like a big fucking deal for that reason. They work closely with healers, but they are actually riders because they are channeling their mending magic. So again, we don't really know a whole lot about this quadrant yet, except that on weekends, these cadets go on a mind body health retreat. <laughs> that right there. I'm like, sign me up for the healers quadrant. <laughs> so delightful. Like, I get to hang out with the riders who are all injured and go on mind body retreats. Like, it's like Yeah. So the riders visit the he- the healer's quadrant often, which, you know, obviously because they have many, many, many injuries. So we're assuming that they are, um, you know, we, we have some close friends in that relationship. Then next we have the scribe quadrant, which obviously behind riders, we, we know the most about going into the story. Who are these scribes are the keepers of knowledge and are training to be Navarre's historians. This is the also the quadrant, obviously, that Violet trained most of her life to be a part of. And her father was a notable scribe as well. This is located underground to prevent fires, less fresh air, less risk of fire, more chance of Nicole wanting to hurl herself into a building. Notably, the archives have a copy of or the original text of almost every book in Navarre that almost is doing a lot of heavy lift in there. Only ultra rare forbidden books are excluded. For instance, our book of fables. That's not there. This is a quote from the book. There is nothing more sacred than the archives. Even temples can be rebuilt, but books cannot be rewritten, especially if you rewrite them like history scribes. So Their entrance test on conscription day is a written exam partially covering the history of Navarre and their complicated relationships with Pearl Meal, the other kingdom. Scribes start their days super early at 5 a.m. Like my children. At the end of their first year of scribe training, they become official scribes. So they're not scribes until the end of their first year. The uniform is a set of robes with a cream tunic, a hood, which are designed so that they don't stand out against the tomes. What a fucking sad thing. This, This is a real symbol. Like, you know, they're covering their hoods. They're in shadows. It's a symbol that no one or nothing is more important than the documents of the archives. Also, the number of gold rectangles on their shirts indicate which year they are in the scribes quadrant. In the scribes quadrant. Is the word quadrant so hard to say? <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? God damn it. First year cadets are responsible for transferring info from the front lines to their archives. Scribes are expected to keep their composure and avoid showing ex- access emotion, which is why like whenever Jasenia, um, whenever like a 
commanding officer, I don't think that's the right term, but ever someone who's like a little bit more higher up the chain comes over, Jacinia immediately is like stone face. It's so sad. We, we know at least one of the professors from the scribe quadrant teaches the writer's quadrant's battle brief. Wow, that's hard to say. Because they have access to the most up-to-date info and battle strategies and current military events. They also announce the death roll every single morning. Lexi, take this away. So then, of course, we have the writer's quadrant, the elite, the dragon writers who can channel magic. So there are four wings, first, second, third, and fourth. And each wing has three sections, claw, flame, and tail. And each section has three squads. So, and each squad starts with about 15 or 16 people in it. Okay. So that equals out to 36 squads. There are 12 sections and four wings. So 36 squads equal about 540 cadets slash riders. Now, 300 of those in this year are the new first year cadets. So that means about 240 are the second and third years. So these squads are combined of a mix of students. However, the first years go and do their own thing. And then the second and third years go and do their own thing throughout the days. So Violet is placed in the second squad, which leads flame section and ultimately in fourth wing which is what Zayden leads Garrick leads flame section thank you quoting the weak don't survive here especially not in the writer's quadrant the dragons make sure of that so let's talk about how so cutthroat the writer's quadrant is oh my gosh it is just only the strongest survive. It is this idea of being worthy of the dragons. You know, Rebecca has talked about how the dragons, they're not the pets. The humans are the pets here. More on that because I have some theories about that with the saddle because a lot of people are like, why doesn't everybody use a saddle? It's because of this reason, right? Yeah. People don't think to put a saddle on the dragon because they're the pets and not the dragons. I mean, Taryn okay. almost roasts Zayden alive multiple times when he's trying to put this right? on. Like, it's not right? a normal thing. It's a thing. very unique situation. Yeah. I don't even think it it crosses people's minds it is that out there so their uniforms are black and that's really the only the the only rule about their uniforms right they have to wear black and they can interpret that as they wish unlike the infantry which is all about conformity right so then they have the least amount of rules because writers are typically typically don't like following rules if you know about the four tendencies these are a lot of rebels but a few of the few rules there are include number one squad mates can't kill fellow squad mates that is very convenient and number two you'll be executed if you attack a fellow cadet or writer while they're sleeping we mentioned that in the foreshadowing section and number three, whatever you carry with you across the parapet is considered part of your person. So that is why that dagger that Violet carries across is so vital later on with the gauntlet. We were talking about entrance tests with each of them. So obviously the parapet is the entrance test for the rider's quadrant. Why? It rep- represents your balance and courage to ride a dragon. If you can't cross the parapet, you can't ride a dragon. And that parapet, it is about 200 feet above ground and 18 inches wide. We don't know quite how long it is, but I think it's a pretty safe guess that it's – what do you do? Oh, you are measuring how big 18 inch, inch, inches is. And I was like, that's like – it's bigger than a balance beam? But that's about all I got positive to say about it. Right? Well, it's also like uneven because it's rocky, right? So I, well, and I think it has like a, imagine a slight rain. hill. I think it has a slight hill to it because she kind of mentioned she's at the top of it when she's halfway through. She's like, I'm on the peak of of the parapet. 
that's my guess though. But I don't know how big of a hill, like what's the incline right here? It's a really scary ass beam that you have to cross and stay alive. So speaking of staying alive, 15% of the rider quadrant candidates who sign up on conscription day die. Boom, you're dead. In Violet's uh, year's case, it's almost 20%. I think it's because of that rainstorm. Again, maybe it's because of her mom. Who knows? So then, okay, whew, you survived the parapet. You survived that conscription day. Now, huh, it's easy, right? Wrong. Okay. So then <laughs> from that remaining, what, about 85%, 80% of cadets, 75% of them will die before graduation. That is insane statistics there. And it is also, for all of these reasons, the only quadrant of the four where candidates are required to volunteer. Now, there is the exception if you're a rebel's child, the marked ones. They are required to go into the writer's quadrant. More on that in next episode when we cover the rebellion and the marked ones. Last thing I'll say about this, because uh, there's so much more we can say about the writer's quadrant. Uh, the first year does include a series of challenges that continue weeding those ca cadets out, specifically before they bond with the dragon. So number one, they do a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat challenges. It's a pretty organized system there. Approximately two months after conscription day, when they start, they do what's called the gauntlet challenge, which again, we'll get into that during that section there. And that follows presentation day. That's all in the same, same sequence, the same day. And then of course we have threshing, which is when or if a dragon bonds with the cadet. And when they bond, then they officially become a writer, even if they haven't graduated yet. So then what happens after they become a writer? Then they start doing a lot more specific training involved with their dragon from flight training, flight, like learning how to fly on the back of their dragon to wielding their powers, both those lesser magic, like unlocking doors and the, the mage lights. um, yeah, mage lights and things along those lines. Again, we're going to be going into signets and those powers can, in a later we, I, episode archive. I want to talk about the pens for one quick second because I know we're going to do an entire episode on signets. Why pens? <laughs> like, why are your pens so special? You know, I, okay, this is my thoughts. This is Rebecca. And, and Rebecca, if you're listening to this, which, you know, I'm just going to keep manifesting that you are because we live in Colorado too. Hey. Hey. If you are listening to this, I'm going to assume that you were also reading Harry Potter and was like, why the hell are all of these people just using quills? Like they have magic and they not use pens. And you were like, huh, that's a good thing to include for magic. So that differentiates the muggles, anybody who is not a dragon writer with the dragon writers who actually can use pens because, <laughs> oh my pens. God, that makes so much sense. That's, that's my little sub theory right there. Tell me if I'm right, Rebecca, please. Oh my God, I'm uh, right. <laughs> okay, oh so I do have a quick question. I do have a quick question while we're on quadrants. And I yes. think you kind of answered this, but what quadrant would you want to sign up for? Would it be healers? Yes. And that's interesting because I'm not typically like a person who would say, oh, I want to be a healer. I mean, no, I was thinking scribe for you. I don't think I could be expressionless. I don't think either of us could be expressionless. I don't know what you're talking about. Time. Or live underground. I would definitely be a healer mm, out of the four options. What about you? <laughs> okay. Logistically, it would make sense if I was a healer. Just like that seems to fit. But I don't know if my ego could let go of, of not going into the writer's quadrant. So I would probably such a Gryffindor. go. I'm such a Gryffindor. <laughs> but like I would probably go into the writer's quadrant. Now, would I survive? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but 
I would want to go into the writer's quadrant. And I don't know how long I'd make. It depends on how long I've been training for. But I'd, I'd hope I'd make Tell it. Tell you there. what, I am so clumsy. I do not think I would pass that parapet. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, I would not. <laughs> Oh my god. If you're listening, send us an email at fantasyfangirlspod at gmail.com and tell us which quadrant you'd want to be in because we wanna we wanna hear your guys's yes. quadrant. All right. So let's wrap up this episode. Let's take flight with our favorite moments from the chapters one through four. I'm going to use every ounce of my willpower and avoid just reiterating everything I've said about Zayden because that is definitely my favorite <laughs> moment. But I'm going to I'm just going to use that willpower. So one of the things I do love here is that it's described for Brennan. He's described as a brilliant strategist. And I love that because, yes, he is a mender. So he is like very of healing and all that kind of stuff. But he's also this brilliant strategist, which makes a lot of sense considering so few readers saw that huge cliffhanger at the very end of the book coming. Me, I def- definitely did not see it coming. I was like clutching my heart. So it makes I, sense I to me that either. he's a brilliant strategist. And of course, Rebecca using her Brennan power to to mimic that. I also love the Violet-Mira dynamic. Uh, She, meaning Mira, she's braiding her hair, which is such a sisterly thing to do. And we immediately get their relationship is very, very deep, even though they haven't seen each other in a while, even though we're just thrown right in the middle to Mira kind of being a dickwad to Violet. We understand that there's so much love there. Okay, so like we're sisters too. So like I think that this like Mira Violet relationship just like really feels extra warm and fuzzy for us. And especially for me, like as that older sister, like that is exactly what I would do with you. Like this exact situation. First, I would yell at mom about being like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Like she can't do this. And then if it was like, nope, that's the case. It's like, all right, well, I guess that this is it. So here is the total, like I would do the exact same thing. And I just like, I really it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and I'm very terrified for Mira's um, future, but again, we'll get to that. Ugh, You'd even we'll break my that hair bridge when it comes. You'd even break I would. my hair. Really? Do you know I'm how to sure I have once or twice? Really? I do. Oh, yes. I'm bad at braiding my own hair, but yeah, I, I can't. Well, you're fancy. You can do like French braiding. I can just do a regular braid, right? <laughs> you're, you're a peach. <laughs> I know. Um, last thing I'll say on Mira here is her her advice to Violet, it really makes me wonder what she experienced in her years in the quadrant when she was training, especially her comment about don't make friends. On a reread, it's like, oh my gosh, like what did Mira go through that that is the advice that she's giving her sister? I think that she she lost a few friends and she's telling her sister, don't make friends so you don't get hurt like I did. Oh, that just squeak like oh, that hurts. I know, oh, right, God. right. And while we're talking about breaking hearts here, we get our first Liam sighting. Oh, I love Liam so much in a platonic way, but I just love him so much. So when she's walking up towards the parapet and, she, and she's going towards a roll call, I think, and uh, she's talking with Mira and she does, she spots Liam. She doesn't know his name yet, but she spots him. He's got blonde hair. He's got um tattoo peeking over his wrist. Well, I do have a quick question on that because she, she meaning Violet, Violet sees that and she's like, oh, what's that? Does she not know that right? they got tattooed, like the rebellion relics? Like, how did she not literally? I, I think it's it's so poetic because it is really just like flexing the like, wow, how how in the dark she's been to all of this. She has read all about this. How is that not included in that? 
two two options two options that I can think of here. One, it was a miss. It was an oversight. It's okay. It happens to the best of us, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Number two is that it is not common knowledge, or it's not. Well, no, it is kind of common knowledge because other people, when they are outside of the writer's quadrant, people like are noticing the tattoos and staying away from them. So I. That that to I me feels I, that might be an oversight. Thing, yeah, but I, I it, or maybe it's just like, hey, readers, you're kind of getting thrown into this. So like, here's a bone. But like, yeah. could you think of anyone else's eye? Like, look at it through Rihanna's eyes. Like Rihanna, it would make sense that she wouldn't know. And last but not least, we have to end every single episode with a Dane touching Violet count. We are both separately counting. I missed the big one, so I don't trust my counting whatsoever. <laughs> If it is only touching the face, we have two. I counted one, but Nicole counted two, so I'm going to trust her. You missed the one in the rotunda, which is like a – literally, it says Dane Cup's Violet's face, like, or Dane Cup's I got face. that one, but which was the other one? Um, when he's helping her wrap her knee, that whole sequence, um, when she's oh. on the – uh, ben, she's throwing up and then she turns to look at him and it says that he cups her f- or it, it doesn't say cups her face, but he touches her face. Got it. Got it. And then um, any other touching is about five is five times. Um, so that's is not that including two, course- I should say. That's not included. So it'd be seven times. So total. five additional times. Five additional times. Yeah. I think we have to focus on the touching face, but I know that you and I dis- politely, uh, respectfully disagree there. <laughs> I will take respectfully disagree. I'm going to continue counting. <laughs> I will say this. So I'm on the next stretch of chapters. I'm like working on the outline for it. And there's a scene where Dane is literally massaging Violet. And she's like topless, except for like she's wrapped her boobs, basically. Like she's in, she's fucking Joan of Arc. And she's like laying on the bed and he's massaging her. And I'm like, how many times does this count for? Because that's a lot of touching. And it is very skin to skin. I'm just counting it as one. But I did think that that was quite funny. Ah, uh, well, friends. We <laughs> That was quite the first episode. I'm so excited to take this journey with you. And please join us on this journey too. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fantasy Fangirls Pod. Talk to us in the comments. Because we are also a baby podcast, please, whatever platform you are listening on, rate, review. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It is so helpful for helping other people find the show when there are more rating and reviews to bump it up the charts. And last but not least share with your fellow fourth wing friends we all have a friend maybe it was book talk like us who got us into this freaking book if your friend who got you into this book was book talk you can share this on tiktok if you want share about this new (laughs) podcast that you found that'd be awesome but please 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 share this with your fellow fourth wing friends we are so excited to be beginning this journey and we can't wait for you guys to come along bye bye